the Bible, the book that has changed the world by changing lives around the world. Men and women, young and old, the Bible has changed my life. The love, stability, and hope that I need, they're all found in the Bible. The Bible gives me hope that a new day is coming. The Bible is helping me see what really matters. The Bible Live is a -a one-of-a-kind, first-time-in-history radio program. Offering you the chance to hear a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading each weeknight. The entire Bible, every year. Hear the scriptures, then call in with your comments and questions. This is the best show in the world. Well, actually, I was speaking against everything you were talking about before, and uh, now I, I stand humbly corrected. I'm a pastor, and our people really need to know the word more. The Bible also transformed the life of your Bible Live host. A full-blooded Apache Indian, born out of wedlock and abandoned at birth. Soapy Dollar was found in a big city alley by a kind-hearted fortune teller, then passed around to 16 families before he was six years old. Placed in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, Soapy Dollar heard the Bible's life-changing message at the age of eight, and the course of his life was changed. He's an American Indian guitar playing all around rodeo cowboy. I keep my thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. With more degrees than a thermometer and over 40 years of introducing folks just like you to the God of the Bible. Here is Sophie Dollar. Thank you for joining us tonight, my friends, for the Bible Live. As we go through the book of Chronicles, I guess I should say, the books of Chronicles, first and second, of course, originally written as one book, one selected history, to review the history of Israel, beginning even as far as Adam and Eve and Seth, following the godly lineage in the early books of Genesis, and then bringing it down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and then the 12 tribes of Israel, the time in Egypt, and then the time of the reconquest of the promised land under Joshua, then the years of the judges, and then the years of the kings. Starting with Saul, that's where he picked up, and we've been emphasizing that. Right now, though, we're still in the reign of King David. We will be ending that particular period in the history of Israel. Like I said, though, it's a selected history. It is not a picture of David with all his warts. They do admit some mistakes, like we talked about him taking the national census of Israel when he should not have done so. And there were negative consequences for the nation because of that mistake that David made. But it does not talk about the great mistake, the adultery, the murder. It's not a denial, not an attempt to change history. Ezra is trying to remind the people who have now returned from these years of exile in Babylon. These are men and women who were born in exile And they needed to be reminded, just as today in our own country, after these 200-plus years, there are so many in our nation who need to be reminded of the fact that our nation was established on biblical principles and biblical truths, the sin nature of man, the need of a redeemer in terms of basic philosophy, but also in terms of worldview, the right of a man to have private property and limited government. All of these are biblical principles. America has attained such incredible greatness because our country was founded on some principles that were absolutely correct in line with human nature and that lead to prosperity, that have safeguards and checks and balances on the sin nature of man 
and that maximize the positive, creative abilities of men and women. When you do that with a people who are good, who are generous and kind and loving, in touch with God and morality, then you have the basis of a great society. That's what we need to recuperate as a people, just as the people of Israel did in their time. Now let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment. Psalm 82. God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the judges. How long will you judges hand down unjust decisions? How long will you shower special favors on the wicked? Give fair judgment to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. And because they are in darkness, the whole world is shaken to the core. I say you are gods and children of the Most High. But in death, you are mere men. You will fall as any prince, for all must die. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. End of reading, Psalm 82. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Hallelujah, hallelujah, All right. Well, we've been emphasizing the music of worship as we looked at the book of Chronicles but also during the time of David, his military arrangement, his administrative leaders. We have to recall that under David, the nation of Israel reached the apex of its glory and of its power and of its influence, of its prosperity. Israel at this particular time was the big dog on the block. They were the big kahuna. Other nations paid tribute to them. King David gave godly leadership in general leading the people to worship, to honor God, and to the honest life that that entails. In other words, honesty prevailed, honest measurements, honest business dealings. They treated each other kindly in general now, and that makes for a prosperous, successful society. We're going to continue now through the book of Chronicles on the Bible Life. 1 Chronicles 29.1 through 2 Chronicles 4.18. 1 Chronicles 29. Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has chosen to be the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not just another building. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for His holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and over 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example? Who is willing to give offerings to the Lord today? Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and captains of the army, and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. 
For the construction of the temple of God, they gave almost 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, about 375 tons of silver, about 675 tons of bronze, and about 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Riches and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. O oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you have already given us. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land, as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord our God, even these materials that we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name come from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, decrees, and principles, and to build this temple for which I have made all these preparations. Then David said to the whole assembly, Give praise to the Lord your God. And the entire assembly praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And they bowed low and knelt before the Lord and the king. The next day they brought a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand male lambs as burnt offerings to the Lord. They also brought drink offerings and many other sacrifices on behalf of Israel. They feasted and drank in the Lord's presence with great joy that day. And again they crowned David's son Solomon as their new king. They anointed him before the Lord as their leader, and they anointed Zadok as their priest. So Solomon took the throne of the Lord in place of his father David, and he prospered greatly, and all Israel obeyed him. All the royal officials, the army commanders, and the sons of King David pledged their loyalty to King Solomon. And the Lord exalted Solomon, so the entire nation of Israel stood in awe of him. And he gave Solomon even greater wealth and honor than his father. So David, son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. He ruled Israel for forty years in all, seven years from Hebron and thirty-three years from Jerusalem. He died at a ripe old age having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. Then his son Solomon ruled in his place. All the events of King David's reign from beginning to end are written in the record of Samuel the seer, the record of Nathan the prophet, and the record of Gad the seer. These accounts include the mighty deeds of his reign and everything that happened to him and to Israel and to all the surrounding kingdoms. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar.
The Book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 1. Solomon, the son of King David, now took firm control of the kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. He called together all Israel, the generals and captains of the army, the judges, and all the political and clan leaders. Then Solomon led the entire assembly to the hill at Gibeon where God's tabernacle was located. This was the tabernacle that Moses, the Lord's servant, had constructed in the wilderness. David had already moved the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the special tent he had prepared for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar made by Bezalel, son of Uri, and grandson of Hur, was still at Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the people gathered in front of it to consult the Lord. There, in front of the tabernacle, Solomon went up to the bronze altar in the Lord's presence and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night God appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied to God, You have been so faithful and kind to my father David, and now you have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, please keep your promise to David my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge to rule them properly, for who is able to govern this great nation of yours? God said to Solomon, Because your greatest desire is to help your people, and you did not ask for personal wealth and honor or the death of your enemies or even a long life, but rather you ask for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, and I will also give you riches, wealth, and honor, such as no other king has ever had before you or will ever have again. Then Solomon returned to Jerusalem from the tabernacle at the hill of Gibeon, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon built up a huge military force, which included 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He stationed many of them in the chariot cities, and some near him in Jerusalem. During Solomon's reign, silver and gold were as plentiful in Jerusalem as stones, and valuable cedar wood was as common as the sycamore wood that grows in the foothills of Judah. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Cilicia, the king's traders acquired them from Cilicia at the standard price. At that time, Egyptian chariots delivered to Jerusalem could be purchased for 600 pieces of silver, and horses could be bought for 150 pieces of silver. Many of these were then resold to the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Aram. Second Chronicles 2 Solomon now decided that the time had come to build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. He enlisted a force of 70,000 common laborers. 80,000 stonecutters in the hill country, and 3,600 foremen. Solomon also sent this message to King Hiram at Tyre. Send me cedar logs like the ones that were supplied to my father David when he was building his palace. I am about to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. It will be a place set apart to burn incense and sweet spices before him, to display the special sacrificial bread, and to sacrifice burnt offerings each morning and evening, on the Sabbaths, at new moon celebrations, and at the other appointed festivals of the Lord our God. He has commanded Israel to do these things forever. This will be a magnificent temple, because our God is an awesome God, greater than any other. But who can really build him a worthy home? Not even the highest heavens can contain him. So who am I to consider building a temple for him, except as a place to burn sacrifices to him? So send me a master craftsman who can work with gold, silver, bronze, and iron, someone who is expert at dyeing purple, scarlet, and blue cloth, and a skilled engraver who can work with the craftsmen of Judah and Jerusalem who were selected by my father David. 
Also, send me cedar, cypress, and almug logs from Lebanon, for I know that your men are without equal at cutting timber. I will send my men to help them. An immense amount of timber will be needed, for the temple I am going to build will be very large and magnificent. I will pay your men 100,000 bushels of crushed wheat, 100,000 bushels of barley, 110,000 gallons of wine, and 110,000 gallons of olive oil. King Hiram sent this letter of reply to Solomon. It is because the Lord loves his people that he has made you their king. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who made the heavens and the earth. He has given David a wise son, gifted with skill and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. I am sending you a master craftsman named Huram Abi. He is a brilliant man, the son of a woman from Dan in Israel. His father is from Tyre. He is skillful at making things from gold, silver, bronze, and iron. He also knows all about stonework, carpentry, and weaving. He is an expert in dyeing purple, blue, and scarlet cloth and in working with linen. He is also an engraver and can follow any design given to him. He will work with your craftsmen and those appointed by my Lord David, your father. Send along the wheat, barley, olive oil, and wine that you mentioned. We will cut whatever timber you need from the Lebanon mountains and will float the logs in rafts down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa. From there, you can transport the logs up to Jerusalem. Solomon took a census of all foreigners in the land of Israel, like the census his father had taken and he counted 153,600. He enlisted 70,000 of them as common laborers, 80,000 as stonecutters in the hill country, and 3,600 as foremen. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Chronicles 3. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to Solomon's father, King David. The temple was built on the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite, the site that David had selected. The construction began in mid-spring, during the fourth year of Solomon's reign. The foundation for the temple of God was 90 feet long and 30 feet wide. The foyer at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple. The inner walls of the foyer and the ceiling were overlaid with pure gold. The roof of the foyer was 30 feet high. The main room of the temple was paneled with cypress wood, overlaid with pure gold, and decorated with carvings of palm trees and chains. The walls of the temple were decorated with beautiful jewels and with pure gold from the land of Parvaim. All the walls, beams, doors, and thresholds throughout the temple were overlaid with gold, and figures of cherubim were carved on the walls. The most holy place was 30 feet wide, corresponding to the width of the temple, and it was also 30 feet deep. Its interior was overlaid with about 23 tons of pure gold. They used gold nails that weighed about 20 ounces each. The walls of the upper rooms were also overlaid with pure gold. Solomon made two figures shaped like cherubim and overlaid them with gold. These were placed in the most holy place. The total wingspan of the two cherubim standing side by side was 30 feet. One wing of the first figure was seven and a half feet long and it touched the temple wall. The other wing, also seven and a half feet long, touched one of the wings of the second figure. In the same way, the second figure had one wing seven and a half feet long that touched the opposite wall. The other wing, also seven and a half feet long, touched the wing of the first figure. So the wingspan of both cherubim together was thirty feet. They both stood and faced out toward the main room of the temple. Across the entrance of the most holy place, Solomon hung a curtain made of fine linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, with figures of cherubim embroidered on it. 
For the front of the temple, Solomon made two pillars that were 27 feet tall, each topped by a capital extending upward another seven and a half feet. He made a network of interwoven chains and used them to decorate the tops of the pillars. He also made 100 decorative pomegranates and attached them to the chains. Then he set up the two pillars at the entrance of the temple, one to the south of the entrance and the other to the north. He named the one on the south, Joaquin, and the one on the north, Boaz. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Chronicles 4 Solomon also made a bronze altar 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 15 feet high. Then he cast a large round tank 15 feet across from rim to rim. It was called the sea. It was seven and a half feet deep and about 45 feet in circumference. The sea was encircled just below its rim by two rows of figures that resembled oxen. There were about six oxen per foot all the way around, and they had been cast as part of the tank. The sea rested on a base of twelve bronze oxen, all facing outward. Three faced north, three faced west, three faced south, and three faced east. The walls of the sea were about three inches thick, and its rim flared out like a cup and resembled a lily blossom. It could hold about 16,500 gallons of water. He also made ten basins for water to wash the offerings five to the south of the sea and five to the north. The priests used the sea itself and not the basins for their own washing. Solomon then cast ten gold lampstands according to the specifications that had been given and put them in the temple. Five were placed against the south wall and five were placed against the north wall. He also built ten tables and placed them in the temple, five along the south wall and five along the north wall. Then he molded one hundred gold basins. Solomon also built a courtyard for the priests and a large outer courtyard. He made doors for the courtyard entrances and overlaid them with bronze. The sea was placed near the southeast corner of the temple. Huram Abi also made the necessary pots, shovels, and basins. So at last, Huram Abi completed everything King Solomon had assigned him to make for the temple of God. Two pillars, two bowl-shaped capitals on top of the pillars, two networks of chains that decorated the capitals. 400 pomegranates that hung from the chains on the capitals. Two rows of pomegranates for each of the chain networks that were hung around the capitals on top of the pillars. The water carts holding the basins. The sea and the twelve oxen under it. The pots, the shovels, the meat hooks, and all the related utensils. Huram Abi made all these things out of burnished bronze for the temple of the Lord, just as King Solomon had requested. The king had them cast in clay molds in the Jordan Valley between Sukkoth and Zarethan. Such great quantities of bronze were used that its weight could not be determined. End of reading 1 Chronicles 29.1 through 2 Chronicles 4.18. devotion. That's all that God asks from us. Isn't that true? He doesn't ask for much, just all that we are and all that we have. (laughs) And the good side is that he promises all that he is and all that he has to us. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ, brought into that perfect oneness, that perfect unity relationship that is the Godhead, the oneness that the Father, the Spirit, and the Son enjoy and have enjoyed for eternity, that perfect oneness of love 
of character, holiness, and all of that, the perfect oneness of intent and purpose, and then the perfect oneness of action. The three persons of the Godhead enjoy a oneness that is perfect. Because we are created as social beings and in the image of God, we long for that oneness. We aspire to that kind of unity, whether it's in our friendships, our marriages, our homes and families, our businesses, whatever human relationships exist, even as neighbors and communities and cities and societies, we long for that kind of oneness in all of our different levels of relationships. But of course, we long in vain because within ourselves we are fallen, sinful, selfish, arrogant, prideful human beings, incapable of the perfect selflessness that we see exhibited in the Godhead. But we long for it. We desire it. We were created for that kind of oneness with our Creator. Some people are confused by this idea of the Trinity. It is not that complicated. You do understand it. The Trinity is a miracle of relationship. Stop trying to explain the Trinity in scientific terms. Talk about persons, not things. And therefore, it is an interpersonal oneness that we are talking about, a social a relational miracle, not a a miracle of physics. The Trinity should be one of the most beautiful, most powerful, most attractive truths about the true and living God that we could possibly put out there because our God models the oneness that we just long for in our human relationships. Uh, Let me review one more time. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are truly one, three distinct persons. Each has all the attributes of personhood, intellect, emotion, and will, and each has independently all the attributes, too, of deity, omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, eternity, holiness, all of the infinite attributes of the Godhead, and yet they are perfectly one in their love and devotion to one another. The only competition there seems to ever be in the Godhead is to see which one can love and honor and exalt the other the more. The Spirit is exalting the Son. The Son is exalting the Father. The Father is exalting the Son. They are one in all of those attributes of deity. And then they are one in their intent, in their purpose, what they desire to do. And then finally, they are one in their action. They act together in creation. They act together in redemption. God is bringing us now as his people into that one relationship with him. Look what Jesus prayed in John 17. Let them be one with us as we are one, Father. We review once more, as we did when we read through the books of the Kings, some of the many details, not as great a detail as we did in the books of the Kings, but some of the details about the building of this magnificent building, this magnificent temple there in Jerusalem. The heart of worship that came from David, his dedication and devotion to God was so contagious. The people followed his leadership, as you noticed here, in giving. He was not only generous with other people's money, (laughs) the way government tends to be, but he was generous with his own as well, and the people followed his example. That's a beautiful thing to see. And then, of course, we see Solomon here following the example of his father and building this temple, all because God was central to the nation, and that's what brought them to greatness. Sophie Reed from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. 
That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today and in one year's time we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.